What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Connect. My name is Johnny Mitchell, and today's guest is a man who goes by JC. You might have seen his YouTube channel, Wrong to Strong. This guy's a former gangbanger from the streets of Southside Chicago. He sends me to 26th Street, you know, a little village, um, just a gang-infested area, but... I rolled with all the older guys because I was willing to get my hands dirty. His family is from Mexico, and when he was a teenager, he became a drug runner and a pot smuggler for a Mexican cartel, La Familia Michoacan. This is back in the early 90s. The first trip, they made me check into the hotel in downtown Apacingan, and I couldn't leave. You know, I, I had to stay there until the car was ready, ready. It was like a dream come true because, like, I started seeing all the trucks with rims and sounds, and you could tell it was like narco world. Eventually, he got caught and ended up spending four years in a brutal Mexican prison before getting released and transferred to the U.S. I got stabbed on the first day. I walked in. I had, you know, I looked at an American. I had Jordan, a Jordan outfit on. They seen that I was American. They asked me for my shoes. I, I still thought I was tough. They, they stabbed me, took my shoes. He went back and forth to prison. He made millions of dollars trafficking Mexican pot for the cartel all over the country. This guy made me look like a nickel and dimer. There, you're constantly on the move. As soon as you get up, you're picking up your phones, you're moving, you're driving this car, taking that. You're talking to people while you're driving. Eventually, he got busted selling five kilos of cocaine, and he went to the feds. That's where he cleaned himself up. Yeah, I could feel the death in that place. A lot of people have died in that prison, a lot. I left everything behind. I just, I wanted to get as far as I could from Chicago because I was done. Today, he is clean and fully legit. He runs a gym in Phoenix, Arizona. He's a public speaker, an author. He runs a great YouTube channel. He's been featured on National Geographic and other TV shows. And he's here today on The Connect to tell us his story. Welcome to JC from Wrong to Strong. I, I tell people my, my flight and fight mode has been turned on since the age of 10, and I just learned to turn it off not too long ago. That's when I see the lights behind me start to flash. And I didn't even think, I just hit it. I was driving like my life depended on it. Then I parked the car, hopped out, closed the door, and I started running. And he pulls out a burner, shanks, like six inches. And then he passes it to me. And he goes, here, that's yours. Don't ever leave the cell block without this. He was the reason I made it out of that place alive. Yeah, let's do it. JC, welcome, my man. What's up? <laughs> Good to finally have you on here. I know, right? It's been planned for, I don't know, about a year. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, and I've mentioned you about this off pod, your YouTube channel talking about prison and the craziest things that you saw in Mexican prison, that was the genesis of The Connect. You were the original uh, motivation and inspiration for me to do this show. Did I tell you that? No, no. Yeah, because I saw you doing it, and I was like, wow, like, this is all, all you need to do is just talk about prison, and you get millions <laughs> of views? Oh, shit. Let me see. <laughs> Let me try my hand. So, thank you. You should own a piece of the equity in this company, you know? <laughs> nah, just glad that it's uh, reaching people who needs to reach. That's all. Yeah, man. man. So, uh, you know, you've, you've obviously, you've been on National Geographic before. You've told your story, um, and of course, like, typical... Uh, corporate media, they left out a whole bunch of stuff. So that's kind of what I, what I brought you in here for was to like fill in like the, the information of your saga. And it is a saga started in Chicago. It's where you're from. You're born in Chicago. Yeah. Born and raised. Grew up on the South side. Yep. And you're Mexican. Yep. 
Are there a lot of Mexicans in Chicago? There's a lot of Mexicans in Chicago. Has it always been that way? Because Chicago's not, I don't associate Mexico, Mexicans with Chicago. I associate like Puerto Ricans and, and blacks with Chicago. You know, a lot of people say that and and I don't I don't understand. Like uh I mean I grew up over there where uh now in Arizona it's completely different. Like all the Mexicans speak Spanish in Chicago, all the Mexicans in Arizona don't speak Spanish. Is that because they've been in Arizona longer? Well, I, I just think maybe because it's a border state, they're more Americanized. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just a different culture because in Chicago, all the Mexicans, we even have some of the biggest uh, Mexican parades. Really? Yeah. And, and it was like that even when you were a kid? Yeah. So you like, grew up in a Mexican neighborhood? Yeah. Like my grandparents lived there for, you know, their whole lives and never had to learn to speak English. Wow. Because and so they're the ones who came over. Yes, and and they're from Michoacan. Ah, uh, no, from uh, we're one state over. Uh, Guanajuato, uh, Uriangato, Moroleon, Guanajuato. Okay, and have you been down to the village where they're from? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've heard that's my parents were in Guanajuato recently, mm -hmm. so I assume it's really nice there right now. It's really really nice. Uh, a lot of a lot of money, a lot of rich people. Over yeah, there. yeah, a lot of expats. I assume too, yeah. which is wild because it's one state over from Michoacan, which is probably one of the hottest most violent areas right now, mm -hmm. at least on the West Coast. Well, uh, Guanajuato is like a, a power plaza for any other cartels. That's why they spent so much time fighting over it the past couple of months. What makes it a power plaza? It's right in the middle of everything. It's like, a, you could say like an island in the middle of Mexico. And so it takes you to wherever all, all you the, want. It takes you to the Northeast, takes you down South, exactly. drives it up through the gut. If you want to go through Chihuahua. Yep. Up into the up into the Arizona, it's just, Texas. I call it just like the heart. You know? Yeah, yeah. Did you have drug trafficking in your family? No, no. Um, my family was uh, they were all panaderos, uh, sweet Mexican bread. Um, my great grandfather started a panaderia in Mexico, like way back in like the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, wow. And then my grandfather took it over, and it's one of the reasons why. Like my my family in Mexico was actually very wealthy, but my grandfather wanted to leave uh, Mexico because uh, you know there was rules. My my grandparents were very strict, uh, very hardworking, and you know my grandfather liked to drink and have fun, and so they ended up you know going to the United States. But uh, you know it gave us a different life. Yeah, that's interesting. Like why immigrants that are well off in their home countries choose to come to the US. I think it's marketing. I think America just has the best marketing. So it just, people want to come see what it's about. So they uproot themselves, they come here and then it's too late. Now I'm on the South side of Chicago and uh, you know, it looks like Baghdad. Um, mm. When, when you were growing up there now, did they have, you know, we associate the South side of Chicago now with, you know, murders every day, crazy amounts of drug trafficking. You know, we talked about that kids filming drive-by shootings in your Mexican pocket of the South side, was it like that? Or I mean, was it, was it gangbanging going on when you were a kid? There's, or there's always been gangbanging over there, but I always tell people it's gangbanging on a whole different level because it's gangbanging with 25,000 K in your pocket. Like it, yeah. it's just, it's on a different level. So is there that kind of money in the streets still? There's a lot of money in Chicago. People don't realize that that's why the murders and, and everything that they'll, they'll just never stop. Now, I mean, it was, it was the, uh, the Flores twins, the snitches, the ones who turned state 
uh, the ones who were, they were the ones importing Chapo's heroin. Mm-hmm. That was the hub was Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I guess when you were a, a kid, what was your first uh, foray into the streets? And if you're from a good family, like why, why did you end up, you know, falling prey to, you know, the allure of the street life? Well, you know, um, when my, when my dad and mom came over to the United States, they were, I mean, they got married at 14. So they had me at 16. So kids having kids, Mm -hmm. uh, my dad fell in love with the streets, the the drugs, the the gangs and all that stuff and, and abandoned my mom. My mom had to move in with her brother that was the guy that ended up like molesting me, I mean, doing all that really bad stuff to me. How um, old were you when that happened? It was from the age of four to nine. Um, he used to drown me in the bathtub. It was just a lot of bad stuff that by the time I was 10 years old, I, I mean, I hit the streets running. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I was carrying a gun. I was, I wasn't afraid to die. I wasn't afraid to go to jail. Um, you know, I was uh, proving myself to the older guys. Um, I rolled with all the older guys because I was willing to get my hands dirty. So, um, you know, I, I started growing up really fast. I got to Chicago in, in 1988. I got back over there after my mom, you know, took us to Mexico for a little bit. Okay, so you're born there. Your mom takes you back after your father leaves? After my father leaves, we come to California for a little bit, mm-hmm. Sacramento, where we're living with her brother. Then after, I guess, you know, she finds out everything that's happening, we end up moving to Mexico. Mm. Um, I just couldn't stand living over there. Mm-hmm. I was already a hot mess. So yeah. uh, she ends up sending me back to my dad's house in Chicago. And she sends me to 26th Street, you know, a little village. Um, just a gang infested area. But now, uh, okay, so you're 10, you're about a 10, 11 when you've got a pistol and you're uh, you're putting in work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. So already the home is broken. And here you are. are. Are there Mexican gang gangs in Chicago? Like, is it, I, I know there's cartel activity, but it, when you were coming up in the eighties, was there Chicano Mexican American gang banging the way we know it in Los Angeles, like colors style, or what was the difference, I guess, between a place like LA and the gangs, the Mexican gangs in Chicago. There's, there's a lot of Latin gangs in Chicago. Um, the, the big difference is that over there, every gang has its own colors. Every gang has its own mascot. <laughs> every gang has like almost like a style. Uh, mm-hmm. The gang culture in Chicago was very different to other areas because it was, it was almost like a business, like a enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had business cards. They had uh, parties where they charged money. Meetings where you collect dues from all the members, right? Uh, buying guns to protect the neighborhood, right? Uh, it, it's ran like like a like a company. Yeah, I remember the vice lords uh, from Chicago are like that. I know that they they have social clubs and like community events, and part of their operations are legit, but they're also you know yeah involved in thugging, and and that's that's every gang in Chicago that has evolved throughout the years has went through that process. Obviously some of them, some, some started as just organizations to help groups out because they started as like baseball teams, basketball teams, stuff like that. But they eventually turned into gangs because Chicago's a tough city, man. I always tell people 
it's always been a gangster city. It's there's no secret to it. I mean, Al Capone from from those days on, Chicago has always been murder city. It's always it's always happened since I was a kid. I my my first person the first year I was in Chicago, my best friend got shot and died in my arms, and that was I was in fifth grade, fifth sixth grade. So after that year, it happened every year. Someone got killed. Someone got shot. Someone got ran over. Somebody's head got blown off. Uh, and you get to see that every day as a kid, it, it starts to change you. Mm. It starts to make you numb. And and then... Were you scared to die like that? I wasn't because I was already so damaged from my childhood for what, what had happened to me. So uh, uh, I really didn't care. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Are you ready for beach season? You can't show up to the beach with that hairy chest looking like Austin Powers. But luckily, Manscaped has you covered. Check it out. Right now, they're offering the Performance Package 4.0. This includes the Essential Lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof, got a cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming experience. It also comes with the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be. It also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. That is to get all of those disgusting nose hairs out of your nostrils. You also get two free gifts with the Performance Package 4.0. The Shed Travel Bag, that's a $39 value, and the patented high-performance, reduced-chafing, Manscaped Boxers. You get all of that. And right now, if you go to manscaped.com and use promo code CONNECT, that's C-O-N-N-E-C-T. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping. Again, that's 20% off, including free shipping, when you use promo code CONNECT at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. All right, let's get back into the show. Did you uh, have to put in work like going to, you know, drop a body in order to initiate yourself into a gang like that? The gangs in Chicago are, are about you get beat up, you get you get beat up to get in. Like it's a, like a a, me, a minute, two minutes, mm-hmm. head to toe. They beat you up to see if you could take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the initiation. You know, I hate when people say, "Well, you know, initiation is to to go kill somebody." Or, or no, there's there's kids that like want to do stupid stuff to like paint themselves to be these bad dudes. You know what I mean? So like. It's the initiation has always been, and, and everybody that's been in the gang knows this. Mm-hmm. You get beat up to get in, you get beat up to get out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. oh, so you can, you can leave. White. You can leave just by getting an ass beat. And and that's and that's it's Chicago gangs. Deal. That's Chicago gangs. You know, um, Chicago gangs. Like I said, they run very different because there's 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 booklets, there's laws, there's there's prayers there's there's principles there's a lot of guidelines that are followed at least from my time i can't say that for the kids now and so you think now part of the reason that violence is so out of control even more so than back then in chicago is that the leaders the ones who put these rules in place are gone and there's nobody at the top well they're they're out of control now you know back in the day you you believe it or not you had good leaders that were controlling the kids were they doing bad stuff? Yeah, but they were controlling how everything was was being conducted. How were you controlled? And tell us about the gang that you first started to work with or for, and what were you guys doing to make money? 
I, I, I jumped around from gang to gang for a little bit because, uh, I was moved around so much. So I had to live in Cicero where all the Italians were at. And there was different gangs over there were the two, two boys over there, the 12th street players. Uh, these are all Italian gangs. Wow. Um, there's, uh, how do uh, Italians gang bang? In Chicago. They gangbang the same way as everybody else. Are you serious? To kill you. So, yeah, so like, white kids just, with like slick back hair, olive oil hair are banging like just, uh, vice lords or. Yeah. Everybody's gangbanging. Everybody's a gang. Everybody's a gangster in Chicago. Everybody. Yeah. So, you know, I would live over there. And like I said, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Italian gangs over there, but I kind of fit in as a kid because they really didn't, couldn't tell if I was Mexican or if I was Italian. Yeah. So uh, I would blend in, you know, and the city nights were out there. I, I forgot what other gang was uh, out there, but um, I had to kind of be careful because, you know, they knew that I wasn't part of their gang. So it's like, what gang are you part of? Mm. So it was like a lot of running around, sneaking around to stay alive. You know what I mean? Shooting, getting shot at, getting chased, almost getting ran over. I, I tell people my, my flight and fight mode has been turned on since the age of 10. And I just learned to turn it off not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you, this is 88, uh, 89? Yeah, we're going into the, yeah, the 90s. So did you saw, you saw the height of the crack boom oh, in yeah. America. You probably lived through that. Were you involved <laughs> at all? Were you working for crack dealers or were you, I know you were very young, but were you a lookout? Were you a runner? Were you a pitcher? No, we, we, um, I, at first, I started working for somebody, and I got paid $2 off each rock. Uh, but it, we were more high-tech. We, were, we weren't standing on corners. We had an apartment building that my boss, you know, rented, and we, were, we would work there. You know, shifts. Mm -hmm. um, I, at first, when he told me $2 a, a rock, I was like, I'm not going to stand here all day, like, for $2. But then I seen the amount of traffic. Yeah. And I, I remember the first day I made like 1,200 and I was like 15 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, oh man. Right. Like, That's a lot of rocks. I <laughs> was like, can I, can I stay here working all night? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, as long as you want. And so I stayed there, stayed there working. And, um, I ended up getting raided. I got raided by the cops, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, it was funny that I, I beat that case because they raided the apartment underneath me first. They messed up. And then when they raided us, like it was something technical, like a small technicality or whatever. I mean, they still found guns and, and all this stuff. And, it, and it's it's on my record, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, it got thrown out. Well, I think when you're underage, I think that's why a lot of crack dealers, especially the late eighties started to really recruit kids is because it's, you know, harder to make a, a dope charge stick to a minor. Yeah. Um, did you ever own your own spot? Well, <laughs> and I put that on my ideas cause I wanted to tell you about yeah, it, but sure. after I worked for him, I was like, you know what? I could do that and I can make that amount of money. Like now I've always had that mentality where I want to eliminate the boss and I want to be the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get me a job and I'm going to, so I went to go get a job at the Olive Garden. I worked for about. I think two months got me seven hundred dollars. Um, bought me my first ounce of coke, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cook it." Yeah, you know, I put it in the water, put the baking soda. You knew how to cook? 
How did, how, who taught you how to cook crack? I watched a couple of my buddies do it. Like I had a couple of my my friends that were GDs. They were part of a black gang that's on the south side, and and I watched them do it. GDs is gangster disciples. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, okay, I could I could do this. Um, man, I lost that whole ounce. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. like so sick to my stomach, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, should I try it again or or, or what? Um, I ended up going back to work for him again. That's when when I got arrested. But yeah, I mean, I tried, but it just it wasn't for me. It, the whole crack game, you you have to have a special, I guess you could say, uh, hustle. It, it's everybody has special gifts when it comes to hustling. Yeah, and mine, mine, mine. I always wanted to sell in bulk. I wanted to be like Costco. I didn't, I didn't want to stand on corners. Yeah, exactly. It, I, that's and somebody asked me that. On a podcast recently, they were like, Mitchell, why did you never move to Coke? You were selling all this weed. But that's exactly what I said. Like, I would rather sell 20 pounds of weed a week to two different people than sell a kilo of Coke in, you know, 50 or 100 transactions. Yeah. So weed, it sounds like, is something that you settled on pretty early. Yeah. You found that to be your niche, correct? Yeah. And what was... Uh, Two questions. First of all, who was bringing it in wholesale and how did you first get started? Uh, did you have a corner? Did you have a weed house? How did that, uh, how did that business grow for you before you started to go down to Mexico and, you know, drive it back up? Um, I was, a, I, this is before I even started smoking weed. A lot of my older friends would always be giving me like dime bags, little 20, you know, eights, mm -hmm. uh, and they would always give me, and I, I would save it all and put it together. And I would one day I was like, I should just start selling this. Right. And I had uh, just started my freshman year at Morin East. It's in Cicero with all the Italians. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell the weed, but I'm gonna still get me a job. It's something funny that in Chicago, a lot of the gangsters do. A lot of the gangsters that sell drugs have jobs. Like so bizarre good jobs, like uh union jobs, right? Where they pay them their way to get in, but they're making top dollar to work. Right. And they still do the hustle after work. A lot of people that are gangsters yeah. in Chicago do this. Right. So I, I seen a lot of my older friends doing that. So I got a job as a dishwasher at a restaurant. I ended up buying my car, got me a beeper, and if you beat me, I would go and deliver the dime back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I started. And I did I, that for years, yeah. by the way. I yeah. I had day jobs. I had a pizza route, pizza delivery route when I was in high school. And I would be dropping off sacks along with a, mm -hmm. a large pie, you know? And and yeah. people don't realize that, like out of one ounce that you bought at 60 bucks, you were making like $210. Wow. So you were buying ounces for 60 bucks. So that was going to be my next question. What was the weed like back in the early 90s? Was it Mexican, bud? It was Mexican, bud. But with a lot of people, you know, this is me at... Later on, putting all the dots together, I have to believe that the Sinaloa cartel sent a lot of families into Chicago, I want to say in the 70s. And a lot of those families had kids. A lot of those kids be, be, uh, started gangbanging with the gangs in the neighborhoods. Right. And I always tell people, the gangs in Chicago are like McDonald's. You have the Latin Kings on 26th Street, but... They're also on 47th. They're also on 51st. They're also on 109th. Mm -hmm. they're, mm -hmm. they're all over the place, the same gang. So what that makes them do is cover more space. Right. In a faster 
faster way. Right. So you wanted to be able to, your goal is to supply all of these gangs. Yeah. You didn't want to be on the corner. You wanted to essentially function how the cartel functions, invisible, and everybody else, you know, sells their work for them. Uh, that was going to be my question too, is when did you see Mexican cartel activity uh, really start to penetrate Chicago? Because in the late eighties, this is before the Sinaloa cartel wasn't even a, mm -hmm. it wasn't even a thing yet. Right. It was Guadalajara, the Guadalajara cartel mm -hmm. had just fallen. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo. He, he had just gone to prison. Uh, Chapo was just a worker at the time. Yep. So what, but what was that early cartel activity that you saw there? I mean, I, I started seeing it just for the simple fact that I was in so many different neighborhoods. So I was by the Bishop and like land counts and Cicero where I seen, you know, their family members, you know, I used to be like, why do they always have new cars and stuff like that? And I've always had like a, I guess you could say like a smell for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mm -hmm. could tell who you told, you could tell the difference because of what they were wearing, you know, like ostrich expensive boots, cinto piteados. These are like $10,000 belts mm -hmm. that a yeah. person that wouldn't know wouldn't be able to tell. Right. So, you know, um, so these guys are dressed like cowboys. Almost right, the yep. gauchos oh, yeah. from the the campos from you know rural Mexico in Chicago, yep. so they stand out. Yeah, so it's it's um, you know, I I just started dabbling in it, and I started selling weed a lot, and and that's what I started like I guess you could say focusing on. I moved from ounces to half a pounds to pounds, and then you know it became a business when I was selling ten pounds here, ten pounds there, fifty here. Wow. hundred there. Wow. hundred pounds so, in high school. That's a lot of work for a high school kid. I mean, who would be picking up a hundred pounds from you? I, I had friends, you know, I've, I've, I've always been kind of like a chameleon. I guess you could say I had friends that I always tell people, I started making a lot of money when I started messing around with a lot of the black gangs, because in, in my time, they were all about the money. They weren't about fighting. They didn't care about fighting. They all wanted to make money. The GDs, the vice lords, mm -hmm. BDs, they all just wanted to make money. They weren't wasting their time fighting like the Latin gangs. Mm. The Latin gangs were wasting a lot of time fighting each other. You know, I mean, they were still selling dope in big quantities, but they spent a lot of time fighting each other and killing each other. Mm -hmm. The black gangs were just making money. So and were they your customers? They were my main customers. They would buy... I would love it because they would buy a hundred cash, like nothing, you know, hundred I mean? pounds. Yeah. And how fast could they get rid of that? They just, they would come back a couple of days later and just be like, I'm ready to go again. Wow. And that's, that's crazy. And who was your re-up? Who are you buying from? Well, you know, I, I, I at the time I was messing with a, a family in Cicero, but then uh, I got connected with, you know, uh, it's no secret Valerie. Uh, you know, it's all, it was on the show. Right. Um, you got to remind us though. That Valerie is, is married to one of the Flores twins. Um, she was pretty much the one that gave me my, my big, I guess you could say start uh -huh. the whole cartel world. Right. And um, so at this time, are the Flores twins already powerful and operating on a high level with the cartel? Their family's always been operating. Gotcha. Um, and are they Sinaloans? Are they are their origins Sinaloa or where in Mexico do they trace the, the I, lineage? Honestly, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I've never asked them. I don't even I don't even know. Okay. But all I know is that their dad was always plugged, plugged, mm -hmm. plugged. Yeah. Like top, top plug. Yeah. And um 
they've always been doing it like for a long time they started as little kids also and mm. and you know um it, it's a small world over there because a lot of those families are related to each other a lot mm-hmm. of the families that were doing it in that time in the early 90s it was the fastest way to get rich. And you met, so you met Valerie, who's married to one of these uh, now kind of infamous twin brothers. And just for the people at home that don't know, the Flores twins were Chapo's main heroin distributors in the mid 2000s. Uh, and they set him up uh, on a wiretap. And that's one of the main pieces of evidence that the US government used to convict Chapo of drug trafficking. But in the early 90s, they were you know, you met, you basically got plugged in with them. Well, they, 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 they come from the same neighborhood. Um, they lived one block down from where I lived. I lived mm-hmm. on Christiana. They lived on Sawyer. So you um, knew them. Well, I knew of them. I didn't meet them until I got out in 2001. Okay. When I came home, when I came home from Mexico prison, they were, they were it in Chicago. Yeah. They were, they were the ones. But be, so back, but tell us about Valerie though. How did you meet her and how did, I, I assume this was how you got integrated with the cartel, getting it straight from the other side. Yeah. I met Valerie when I became part of the uh, Saint Disciples from 59th Street. I was one of the founding members for that street gang and my leader was dating Valerie at the time before she married, you know, one of the floors, before she married, married Cato. Mm. Um, I've known Valerie since uh, we were both kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, I believe, a little bit older than me, but not much. Um, but I've known her since I was a kid. So she got to see me, you know, on the streets being homeless, hungry. She always tried to help me, um, always tried to, I guess you could say, always tried to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of my game was picked up from her. Yeah. You know, she's the one that that pretty much taught me the game. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't hear a lot about female hustlers. I, in, I worked for two females. I worked for two females. So like I, I know what it is. And so was she basically just moving pot at this point when you're in high school, you meet her and she becomes your connect. Uh is she essentially like the distributor for that particular Mexican cartel? I mean, she's bringing it in. She's like we I I didn't like my first trip there. I didn't realize like how easy it was. Yeah. So yeah. then I was like, wow, like this is like this is what they mean about cutting the middleman out. Right. Right. You know now now you're buying a kilo of weed in Mexico for twenty five dollars, already compressed, loaded. Mm-hmm. You know you're putting it in the car. You're driving it to Mexico. Now when you get to Mexico, you're taking that kilo that costs you twenty five dollars. You're taking it out and you're selling it for five fifty each. Mm-hmm. I mean that that. Profit. But how much were you? How much before you did that though? You're already selling hundreds of pounds a week that you're getting from her to the these black gangs. Uh, why did you feel like you had to cut the middleman out if you were already? Because you're only making twenty five bucks off each pound like that, right? Like. So you were only getting it. So you were getting it for sixty. <laughs> you were getting it for sixty and selling it to them for eighty or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're not right. making that much money. I right. mean, when it's just like when when you when you start selling, you know, cocaine. If you're not making at least two thousand off of each kilo, yeah, then you're really not doing nothing. Yeah, like it's, it's not, not worth, even worth. It's not it. worth the risk. It's not even yeah. worth the risk. Yeah. So like the same thing with the weed. It's like, you know, you add it up. 20 bucks 
at a sun, a hundred really ain't nothing. Right. Right. It sounds like a lot, but it's nothing. Right. It's a lot of work for nothing. Yeah. I did that for years. I oh. sold huge weight and at a 5% markup. So you, yeah. you, you not only waste your time, you, you're sitting around, you get caught and it's all a waiting game. You know, the drug game is all a waiting game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you, you cut the middleman out and you start getting them at this price, it takes a small investment to become a millionaire overnight. Right. So Valerie is the one that saw you moving all this weight. She saw that you were moving it fast. And is she the one that said, hey, we have this opportunity for you to actually bring these pounds up from Mexico? Is she the one that originally offered you that or was that your idea? No, she she gave me the job. She offered me the job and and like, you know, it's like I said, it's it's the the show told the story the way that it had to be told. Uh, you know, there's there's certain things I can't say and there's certain names I just I just out of respect. Like it's just it is what it is. Um, you know, I I I still I'm able to lay my head down in peace. <laughs> so mm -hmm. That means a lot to me. You know what yeah. I mean? So, well, we'll, we'll rush through this part then because we've already, you know, you've covered the smuggling runs that you used to take from Mexico across the border and then bringing it all the way up to Chicago. But essentially just the, the cliff notes of it are you would uh, load up with cash or were you even bringing cash down there? I only did cash one time. And, and honestly, like, that was, like, way easier than anything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. Running cash, it's, of course. It's it's easy to get into Mexico. Right. The hard part is getting out with the drive. Right, right. <laughs> so you went down and you were, what state? You were going down to Michoacan? I, I went down to Guadalajara. And then I took, like, this route down to, like, Ciudad Guzman. And that was it. That's where I stopped. That's that was, a long drive. Yeah. Dude. How long is that drive from Chicago all the way down to uh, to Michoacan? It, it was it was long, man. I, I can't even like. Would you get to? It would take you a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Where would you stop? I mean, I I'm a driver. I mean, we just me and my wife just drove from Texas down to. It was 18 hours. I didn't stop. I just drove wow. straight through. Okay. I'm a driver, so I like to drive. So like. I just think, and I'm like, man, the way that I drive and the long, it felt long. So that means it was, it was a long trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I just stop as needed pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So you go down there, you meet, uh, you meet the family. Mm -hmm. Now are these uh, families, I assume, I assume, are, are you actually meeting uh, the executives for the organization or are you just meeting their essentially their, uh, their arm of it. Does that make sense? Are you, are you meeting, are these just farmers, the pot farmers, or are you actually meeting top leadership of the cartel as well? Well, the first trip, they made me check into the hotel in downtown Apatzingan and I couldn't leave. You know, I, I had to stay there until the car was ready. Yeah. Ready. Yeah. Uh, they made it very, like, they made me like suspicious. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? Like, of course, don't leave, stay in there. Don't walk around. You know, we don't want an American being seen. Mm -hmm. But when I first got there, it was like a dream come true because, like, I started seeing all the trucks with rims and sounds and the guys with the, with the guns. I mean, you could tell it was like narco world. You know yeah. what I mean? 
So I was like, man, this is, you know, what world I'm going to be part of mm-hmm. now. Um, the first trip, like I said, it was like that. Second trip got better because they gave me a scout on my second trip that kind of took me out. This little kid that was like 11 years old. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. What does a scout do? Yeah. He, he did Coke all day and then just showed me the good restaurants, yeah. where to go. Yeah. Uh, just took me around the city. Yeah. The third trip. One of the main sons picked me up, took me to the uh, Congal, you know, where the girls dance naked. Mm-hmm. You take the prostitutes home, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I've heard of it. Um, I'm well aware. It, it was called the Steakhouse. It's closed now, but it, it was popping back then. Mm-hmm. And he took me out. I got to pick girls. I took them home. So I started getting more and more ingratiated close, yes, with the, the family. Now, what year is this? Man, honestly, I tell people... It was like mid nineties, man. So I'm I'm trying to get a sense of what organization I mean you were working for. Honestly, I I believe. Yeah, I just I just wanted to like not not say it in stone, but it was it was probably the familia. Familia Michoacan. Now it probably was just because of the roots and where it was. Of course, of course. You know what I mean. Of course. Um now was and what I want to know is was the familia Michoacan under the umbrella back then of one of the larger cartels, either uh, either Sinaloa or somewhere, somebody on the east, or were they independent at the time? I because now to- they're under the control of, of of Nuevo Jalisco today. Yeah, but do you know back then were they just their own cartel, or were they actually under the um, protection and the routes of a larger? A larger family. Do you know? Of what I've seen in those years, a lot of the smaller organizations were able to operate as long as they were paying their 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 quota, their their plaza. A lot of the smaller organizations were allowed to work. It wasn't until the war started yeah. that a lot of the clicking up started the, the happening. The war between Tijuana yeah. and uh, Sinaloa. Yeah. So, okay. so this is know, before, this is 10 this years is, before this that. This is before that. This so, is, so they were, so were, were, were they their own a, a, were they their own cartel or were they just a plaza, the familia, familia Michoacan? They were their own families. Okay. Back then they were just seen as families right. working, you know what I mean? They, and so did they have, they, they gave you the route to drive after that you got in the car that was loaded with work and how, how many pounds would they put in there? It was basically always the same amount. It was always 40 kilos. So they, they dealt in kilos. Yes. Gotcha. It was always kilos. So that's about 80 pounds, uh, 80 85, and a half, something yeah. like that. Um, did they give you the route to take home? Yes. Right. And that makes sense for our listeners because what we've learned through the course of doing this show is that the, the routes are, are very for. specific because they're paid for. <laughs> they're, each, each route, you know, the cops and probably the politicians know to let you pass. So you didn't have any problems driving up through Mexico at the beginning with the with the work. No, I mean it was it was a piece of cake. The uh the hard part was, you know, getting it out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people are out to get you. Other car- other families, mm-hmm. other cops, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's crooked in Mexico. So yeah. it's like and everybody's chasing that dollar. Everybody's chasing the American dollar. Do you know how many people were like you? How many kids, runners from uh, Chicago or the, the U.S. were coming down and dealing with the family that you dealt with? Oh, there, it was by the hundreds, bro. Just I mean, It was probably just a constant every day they had somebody else picking up. I mean, when we used to go, it, it usually was about seven to eight drivers. Just 
in any given day getting loaded up and driving off. Wow. So thousands and thousands of bricks a week are moving out of that place. Unbelievable. And what was the weed quality at the time? It was, it was, you know, hit or miss. Sometimes it was great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the gas would get in there and and it, you know, who, I mean, everybody knows that they've had that, that weed, that Mexican weed Mm -hmm. that smells like gasoline. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, it was hit or miss. Was it Sin Samia? Like, was it the stuff that that Rafa invented? The it was. It still had seeds. It still. It still was that Mexican Mexican weed. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah. but it was. It was selling. Everybody was buying it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is back in the 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 days when Mexican buds still dominated the wholesale commercial market. Yeah. You know, I always tell people the hydro really didn't come into play until like the uh, early. 2000s early 2000s because mm-hmm. i i knew that because uh a lot of the black gangs in chicago were the first ones to kind of dominate that that whole that wholesale they yeah, just monopolized it yeah because we had to go over there to go buy it yeah. you know and when dmx would come into chicago we we always made sure that we had like the top mm-hmm. quality hydro mm-hmm. did you know um, dmx oh he's my he's my daughter's godfather valerie's my daughter's godmother you're kidding. Yeah. Because I noticed you had a Rough Rider tattoo. Yeah, I was, yeah. Wow. How did you meet up? How did you meet him? I met him through Cato. The, uh, uh, he wrote a song for him that's called Ayo Cato. It's on the uh, last uh, Grand Champ uh, CD. Um, he was murdered in 2003. Cato was uh, a friend, mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was part of the Land Kings. He was a big right. leader for Land Kings. Oh, wow. Um. Yeah, it is a small city, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's talk economics real quick. You're you're bringing back about eighty pounds. Uh, what does each of those pounds sell for after you get it across the border to Chicago? What are you you're bringing that? What's your? Are they just paying you per pound, or are they cutting you in on the profits as well? At the beginning, it was per trip. I was getting paid twelve thousand dollars a trip. Gotcha. After I started becoming friends with the family, I started getting a certain percentage because I started kind of like, I guess you could say fit in where you get in. Like I started kind of talking my way into like, hey, can I buy a couple of these wholesale from you as soon as, yeah. as soon as they get over there? Yeah. So they started giving me more jobs. They started telling me, okay, well then take it out. Take it out from the tank. Yeah. You do all the work instead of dropping off the car because before it was just drop off the car somewhere in Chicago, yeah. wherever they told you to drop and it then off. The, the other people would take care of the rest. Yeah, and then you got COD. Just you went and picked yep. up an envelope. So pretty much um, now I'm I'm taking the car to my garage. I'm dropping the tank. Um, you know, there's a story that I tell on my YouTube channel where me and Valerie were in the garage and we're pouring the gas down the drain to get all the gas out mm-hmm. before we cut the gas gas tank open because a lot of people in Chicago have died doing this. They blow up cutting the gas tank open. How does the, how does the, how does it blow up like that? What's the science behind it? Are they smoking a cigarette? The gas, um, smoking a cigarette, just being not safe. Sure. You know, uh, and um, I mean, look at what happened to us. We started pouring the gas down the, the sewer. Something lit up the sewer and explosions started happening. The explosions were so loud that the fire department was called. Oh, shit. So now the fire department shows up to Valerie's house. We got the car in the garage. 
and there's fire coming out of the drains. <laughs> so it was like, does the weed catch on fire? No. Well, thank no, God for that. Like we're pouring the gas in right, the drain. It's, right. It's the whole, it's a whole right. different. So it's, so it's catching on fire in the sewer in system. In the sewer system. Wow. So like uh, the fire department comes, blah, 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 they leave. And I honestly, after that time, I got scared and I didn't want to do it no more. Yeah. I was like, yeah. nah, this. And then I heard more stories of people, uh, you know, people that knew other people that got burnt like really bad doing yeah. it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, but then I still found my way of getting it cheaper and, and I was. So, so you started taking a, uh, your fee for driving it up plus getting a couple of the pounds wholesale. So now you've got your own side trade Yep. and now you're, so you're making even more money. Yep. So that's a lot of money for a 17 year old kid. You know, you maybe make $20,000 you know, after, after you sell off your own piece of the work, that's a lot of money, was, especially was, back in those days. I was making good money. And, and, you know, um, I, uh, Valerie started teaching me how to dress with like Jabot and, you know, gold chains mm -hmm. and Gucci and just, yeah. just looking different. And mm -hmm. I guess you could say I fell in love with the whole, I guess, drug dealer style. Mm -hmm. Um, but both sides, I used to like to buy the expensive boots too. And the hats and all that stuff and wear the Gucci stuff and all that stuff because I, I was kind of being raised on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like, because you're a pretty forward thinking guy, did you feel like, okay, I want to, I want to be my own family. I want to be my own wholesaler at a certain point. Like I want to be like where Valerie's at, where I'm, I have my own crew of runners that are going down there and picking it up for me. Did you want to be a kingpin? Well, at one time I had a little crew. I had about, I want to say about eight guys that, you know, uh, I was starting to get my own loads coming in for myself. This and is way later though, right? Yeah, in this Arizona. Is, no, I mean, it's, it's right before I left Chicago. This is right before they killed, they killed Cato. And, uh, I had to, so I'm gonna go back a little bit. So I'm part of the same disciples, right? I, make a plug while I'm in the feds getting transferred from Mexico to United States, mm -hmm. a big plug. Um, I get to Chicago. I'm fresh out of prison. I pretty much turn my whole life around and start making a lot of money like overnight. Mm -hmm. um, my gang gets jealous. My leader, he gets jealous because now I'm still in the spotlight. I decide to go to his nightclub to celebrate me getting married to this lady that had cartel ties. I was marrying her for a reason. I was doing everything that I needed to do. I've always been very like mm -hmm. business calculating. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I go to his nightclub to celebrate. That's the night that they set me up with a dirty, dirty gun inside my truck. I violated my truck. They set me up with a gun. Right. I come out from the nightclub. The twins are there that night. Uh -huh. They're popping bottles. This is a nightclub where all the drug dealers go to in yeah. downtown Chicago. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. I come out. They arrest me for the gun. So if, they called the cops after planting the gun. It in was your an car. anonymous phone call. Wow. So. And you're on paper, so they don't need a warrant or anything. They, they just get in there. Uh, so they arrest me. Um, I go to jail. If you know my background. I got a lot of gun cases in my background, a lot mm -hmm. of shootings. So if this sticks, I'm, I'm getting like close to 60 years pretty much. Yeah. 
Because you've already been in the feds, so your points are just like yes, through the roof. Through the roof. So um, I had money this time. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. I had money to to pay the top lawyer that money could buy you in Chicago. At the time, it was Juan de Leon, uh, one of the top criminal lawyers in Chicago. He was best friends with Obama before Obama became who he was. But top lawyer defends a lot of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to prove the case that it was an anonymous phone call, blah, blah, this, that, all the, all the red flags. Right. Uh, I was able to beat that case, but if I wouldn't have been able to beat it, they were trying to offer me 63 years. Yeah. Did you even have to take it to trial though? Or were you able to get the case dismissed? Oh, I got the case. To, he yeah. got the case dismissed. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, if I wouldn't have had the money to do that, uh, I, I would have, I would probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. Uh, but I want to I, I want to revisit that, though. I want to back up a little bit really quick. All right, you guys, it's that time. You already know we got to take a minute to shout out our amazing longtime sponsor of the Connect, Mood. Mood is the number one online dispensary for Delta 8 and Delta 9 products in the entire country. Good friends of ours. Check it out. They have an array of gummies, edibles, concentrates, pre-rolls, flour, Anything that you need that is perhaps not legal in your state, it is completely legal online. Delta 8 and Delta 9 products delivered straight to your door, and you got to get them from Mood, mood mood.co. Right now, if you go over there and order any product you want from their website and use the promo code CONNECT20, that's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-2-0, CONNECT20, you'll get 20% off your order. That's not all. If you use the promo code CONNECTFREE, that's C-O-N-N-E-C-T FREE, they will give you a free pack of Delta 9 gummies on the house. All you pay for is shipping. You guys, join the future. Go over to hellomood.co and order your Delta 8 and Delta 9 products today. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, so you had those entrepreneurial ambitions while you were still kind of a worker. You were still running on behalf of somebody else. Um, did you, at this time, you, you got a little bit of a Coke habit going, right? In Mexico, you have the guy from that family who becomes kind of a father figure, a mentor to you. Um, did you think like, okay, I'm going to do this a certain number of times, save up my money and then start my own thing. So I don't have to be a, uh, you know, a mule anymore. Did you have any kind of like thought, okay, I got to, quit doing this, you know, I'm going to get pinched sooner or later, bringing it across the border. I really didn't even think I was going to get caught. I just kept doing what I was doing and moving up. And and my biggest thing is like, when I started my little team, I, I, I thought I was going to be like, you know, I was going to make a career out of it. I really didn't see no way out or it's doing something else. Yeah. And, and bringing it across, this is pre nine 11. So did you ever get like, secondary searches or anything like that coming across where did you where did you enter through you know once once i got that really big plug after mm-hmm. i came home from the mexican prison mm-hmm. um i didn't have to drive no more right uh, but i'm talking about when you're i want to f- focus still on on you as a as a teen because you know you've always kind of had this spirit in you but did you you know, when you're bringing it up, are you thinking like, man, like I gotta, like, I'm sick of this already. Like I need to be the guy. 
Because, you know, when you have $20,000 off of one run, you can start your own crew with that kind of money. Now, did you, did you want to break off from Valerie? Did you, like, was there any of that thinking or were you just living in the moment? I mean, I was just a very loyal soldier, you know. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, uh, I stayed loyal and I moved up as much as they wanted me to move up. Mm-hmm. And um, I just followed the rules, yeah. you know. And and I think that's what made made me, like, not get killed because a lot of people got killed uh, through the process that got greedy or would disappear with cars, uh, stuff like that, you know. Um, I, I stayed loyal and I, I did what I had to do from point A to point B. Right. Know? People who try to move up too quick, yeah, they get, usually get out of line and they end up getting popped. Yeah. So it's the seventh trip, correct? Mm-hmm. You're coming through Mexico. Tell us again. I know you you covered it in the Discovery Channel episode. How you ended up getting popped? Well, I got, was it a tip off? Nah, I, I I got sloppy. I I was doing a lot of coke. I was drinking. Uh, my head was like this big. I thought I was like Superman, untouchable, a gangster, you know, all mm-hmm. those stupid thoughts that you think as a kid when you start, you know, I guess getting comfortable with that world. And uh, I didn't follow the schedule. I didn't follow the route. Uh, it led me to one of the hottest like checkpoints called El Huizache. That's in between San Luis Potosí and Matamoros. Okay, so you're all all the way on the east coast now. Yeah. You're in you're in like Tamaulipas. I'm going this way, so right. going this way. Right, you know? so you're way east <laughs> when Chicago's over here. Okay, wow. And, and uh, I just wasn't supposed to be there, and I wasn't supposed to be there at night either. Mm. You know, it was a military checkpoint. Right, and so these aren't the federales; these are the the Marines. These, these are the real deal. I always tell people. The military were the hardest to pay off back then because these were a lot of country boys that were proud of being from Mexico. You mm-hmm. know, like you really couldn't pay them off. Even today, it's like, pretty tough. It was tough. Yeah. You know, all the other guys, yeah, you could, you were paying them under, you know, Transito, uh, Federal, uh, all the uh, local cops. Yeah, it was easy, you know, yeah. but these guys were hard and um, that's who popped me, the military. Yeah, so they just pulled you over during a check and searched your car, and they found, was it another 80 pounds, 40 kilos? Yeah, I mean, it was the whole tank. Um, they had special equipment to bring the cars up to the ramps, mm-hmm. uh, special drills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they they were ready. They, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. You know, they knew. There's a saying in Mexico, uh, uh, el perro de dos patas, uh, uh, you know, finds the prize faster because <laughs> he, knows, he knows where it's mm-hmm. at. Yeah. So what was your sentence? I, got, I ended up getting 15 years in Mexico. And you did? Four. Okay. I did four because I got uh, extradited. The American consul mm. came and got me, uh, extradited me to El Paso, Texas, mm. Latuna Federal Prison. Yeah. And then and there- had, How much in there? I got resentenced again there according to American guidelines. And every day that I spent in Mexico counted as two. And then I got pain and suffering for, uh, for getting stabbed. Mm. So. Uh, I had an immediate release. Immediate release came like after a couple of months. I think it was almost a year that I was there. Uh, the paperwork came in. They were like, immediate release. Uh, they released me, but I was maybe free for five minutes because uh, I was wanted in, in Chicago. So the uh, the uh, Texas Rangers were outside waiting for me. Mm. They took me to the El Paso County Jail, and I sat there for, I guess, two months. Until you got extradited to uh, Chicago? No, they uh, they ended up, um, 
it's it's a crazy story because I sat there and made friends and I ended up in El Paso for a little bit, but they ended up releasing me because Chicago never came and got me. The system is just, it's so insane because you're dealing with all of these different bureaucracies and you know, you don't even know what you have warrants for uh, over in this state. And it's just like, it's like an out-of-body experience the first time that you, you do time because you don't know what's happening. And you like, you don't have any control over your physical body. One day, a bunch of dudes in cowboy hats are like, Hey, you got, you thought you were going free. You're actually coming to El Paso. And it's like, you're getting kidnapped by the government. It's so, and you're just kind of got to go with it. Now, uh, those are four long years in Mexican prison. Is that where you got stabbed? Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was happening, uh, you know, daily in the prison you were at. Uh, it was bad. I always tell people once I did time in the Mexican prison, every prison in the United States was like a five star hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like for real. Yeah. Like, even the super max ones. Yeah. You, you know, you talk about on your channel, you know, you bring up the guy, the sex offender that, you know, they put him in the general population and then, you know, they shove a broom up his ass and they stab him and just let him bleed out. Uh, just horrendous stuff. I don't really, I'm not terribly interested in that kind of thing. Uh, just because it's so, uh, it's so brutal. I don't like glorifying it. Um, what, but is that part of the reason that you were able to get transferred out? Like did, did basically when it, when an American citizen is in those kind of conditions locked up in a foreign country, uh, like does the government basically negotiate on your behalf saying, Hey, just for humanitarian purposes, send him back home so he could be tried here. Is that kind of, is that how you were able to get out? Well, they they had a program back then where they were doing extradition for, they were doing an exchange program where every Mexican that was in the United States got to come home to Mexico for an American. So oh, they wow. Were having, Trading one for one. Yeah, they had a wow. program. And I was one of the last ones to get out beyond that program. That's why it took them a little bit longer to get me, oh, get me out of there shit. because there was a waiting list. <laughs> so when I came over on the plane, they must've been about, I want to say about 30, maybe 40 Americans on that plane. It was a big plane. Yeah. But all they, doing time in Mexico, in Mexico, but they started from the bottom Oaxaca all yeah. the way up, picking yeah. up everybody. Yeah. And when I turned around and I looked at all the Americans, cause remember at this time, I'm still, still young. I'm 19 years old. Yeah. I look back and I look at all the Americans. They all look gone. Their eyes, their hair, like mentally they weren't there. Yeah. Broken so, by a Mexican prison. By, by, you know, the violence and everything yeah. that was happening over there. So when I sat down, I was like, man, I'm lucky that I was young and in the prime of my violence. Right. Because it, it helped me survive. Yeah. And I imagine the violence that you witnessed in Chicago as a kid, uh, helped buffer what you saw when you got to the Mexican prison, right? It helped me adjust because I had already seen a lot of bad stuff because yeah. once I got to Mexico, it was a whole different story <laughs> yeah. over there. Yeah. It's like, I had never seen people getting lynched and stuff like that. It was, it was bad. Can you like, describe that? What does a lynching look like? I mean, just, is there something that stands out? It's just a bunch of guys stabbing you where like there's, there's nothing left in you no more. It's like beating a dead horse. And you witnessed some of like, that. Yeah. Like it was bad. And it changes you. Yeah. Like it starts to make you almost, I guess, numb to life. Mm -hmm. Like you, you start to feel the same way. Now, when you get to the feds in America, usually they'll give you a, you know, a piece of steel your first day in there. Right. Is that how it is in Mexico? Like, did you have to, 
Did you have to put in knife work or at least carry something for protection? No, it's very different over there, man. It's uh, it, 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 every unit was a different state in Mexico. Um, it was just very different. I mean, they even had guns in there. That that's really all. That's not really brought out until it's needed. Yeah. Um, if there's like a big riot or stuff like that, it, it doesn't happen. They're not gangbanging like we are in the United States. Right. In the United States, that's that's what kills us. Is that we spend so much time killing our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. That like, they, they, I I say I tell the guys in Mexico it was a violent prison, but they were enjoying their time. Mm. Music was playing. They were sleeping with girls, doing drugs. Yeah, like they were enjoying their time. Yeah, the time wasn't like spent right. trying to kill and, and gangbang with. Well, somebody. those were the people that had money though. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't have money though. When I first got there, I had a lot of money because Valerie was sent me a thousand dollars every month. I lived, oh, okay, I lived pretty much like a kingpin. Oh, great. So were you getting hookers in there? I was getting hookers. I yeah. was getting, I, I was. Raw dog? That was, <laughs> I was doing all the stuff that everybody else was doing. I had carpet in my cell. I had, you know, a big screen TV. I was walking around in my Nike suit. Tacos? Uh, Did you get better food? There was restaurants in there that I <laughs> ate at. There was stores that I shopped at. It was, so it was are a people, different life. Are people running, are inmates running and making money off of those restaurants? Yeah. They're businesses. And, and so they're paying the administration to bring in like the meat and the vegetables. Yeah, it's a business. It's a business within the prison. Exactly. And, and I always tell people this. If you want to get a really good idea of what the Mexican prison was in my time when I was in there, watch the movie Get the Gringo with Mel Gibson. Mm. It, it'll give you an idea of the businesses, the parties, yeah. how it was ran in there. I mean, when I was in prison in Mexico, it was the first time ever that I said, okay, I've had enough drugs. I don't want no more drugs. Right. It was the first time because there was so much of it Yeah, that when I would party with one of the big kingpins in there, he would put a whole kilo on a plate. You know, he would warm it up mm-hmm. and start cutting it. And I would do so much coke that sometimes I would run. I would go high to a different unit because I didn't <laughs> want to do no more. And he would send his guys to go find me. And they would be like, pollito, because that's what they would call me. They would call me like Ch- Chicken Little, because mm-hmm. I was really young when I was there. Yeah. They were like, hey, Donato's looking for you. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to go no more. <laughs> One time, it's funny, I had a shirt on my chest and I had a piece of wood that I was like twirling on it, because I felt like my heart was going to like come out of my chest. So I'm walking around with a shirt with a stick, and I'm hiding from him, because I don't want to do no more coke. <laughs> and they find me, they take me back. And I was a little afraid, you know, I couldn't tell him no, you know, and this guy is, is the, the head guy in the prison. So I sit there and I start doing more coke with him. I ended up in the hospital for uh, alcohol poisoning that day. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was bad. But you know, that's how good the coke is there. You can just keep doing it and not overdose because it's so pure. It's, it you know? pure. Now, are they also dealing coke? They're yeah. running coke in there. What's a gram? I guess they probably don't sell grams in there. But yeah, like- it's called Pesado. Oh, pesado. Yeah. Okay, so what does one of those pesado joints sell for? So it was going for 150 pesos, so that's probably about... It's nothing. I want to say maybe $10? Maybe back then. Now it's probably <laughs> even cheaper than that. Wow. $10, so yeah. grandma, pure Coke. There was people that would come from the outside into the prison to visit somebody to buy drugs to take them outside to sell. Yeah, yeah. Because they were pure inside it the prison. It was more pure inside the yeah. prison. So it was almost like a distribution hub. And it's, I mean, they sold Coke, they sold weed, they sold pills. Uh, 
I fell in love with the whole pill game in Mexico because over there they have a lot of pills that they don't have here in the United States. They're illegal here in the mm-hmm. United States. Their pharmaceutical is way bigger over there. So yep. They have uppers, downers, sideways, yeah. floaters. They have reinas, sartanes, rochas. So did you, uh, did you think... Did you network in there? Did you think, man, when I get when I get out, when I get back to the US, like I'm really gonna be on? Like, did you get plugged with connects? Like, were you thinking that far ahead? Yeah. I mean, that I tell the story all the time. I went back to pay, you know, I got in trouble and they show it on the on the TV show. Um, I got in trouble because I owed so much money because I was keeping the drugs and doing them myself. I wasn't mm. selling them no more. Right. So I got in trouble and it almost cost me my life. It's a good way to get killed. Is that why you got stabbed? Oh, no, I got stabbed for my shoes when I was there brand new. When I got there new, the first day. Oh, tell got, us about this. I, I got stabbed on the first day. I walked in, I had, you know, I looked at like American. I had Jordan, a Jordan outfit on. Yeah. Um, they seen that I was American. They asked me for my shoes. I I still thought I was tough. They they stabbed me, took my shoes. They showed you what tough was. And also, it, it okay, is what it is. Where'd they stab you and with what? They asked an ice pick. Um, I got stabbed in the back, and then the doctor had to come in and stab me to put the tube in my lung to take <laughs> the blood out. Ooh. So I got stabbed twice, Ooh. technically. Yeah, so you could have bled out because that's a kidney shot. Well, it, it was bad. It was bad, and I was lucky to make it out. But, uh, you know, once the people knew that I was there and who I was working for, you know, I got picked up. Yeah. It's just I messed up by using the drugs and, and not paying the money. Mm-hmm. But, honestly, that's what shot my career <laughs> <laughs> into the game. Right. Because when I got home from prison, I flew back to a prison that's in the island where the boss was at, where they had moved him to, mm-hmm. and I paid him his money. Wow. And that's what made me get plugged in with the people that I got right. plugged in with when I got back to Chicago. Right. Uh, who was that boss in down there? What what family was he with? Or what organization? He was with the Familia. He was with the Familia too. Okay, great, great. So, because in the episode that you do on TV, National Geographic, they make it seem like it was a real horrific experience in that prison, but the reality was you had money, so you were you were kind of living, uh, you were living pretty good at the beginning. As prison goes at the beginning. Yeah. It, it was bad when once I messed up and they moved me into that. They started telling the story once I messed up and they moved me into the to the poor unit. Once mm. I lost it all. Right. Valerie stopped sending me money. She found out I was getting high. Yeah. Um, everything stopped. The money stopped. The help stopped. I used to get care packages from them. Uh, they used to take care of me really, yeah. really well. You know, so I end up in the, in the poor unit. Now I don't have no money and I have a really bad drug habit. Mm. So now, like, I'm trying to rob the new guys just like they did me when I yeah. when I was there. So I turned into a little animal mm-hmm. and I started doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I remember to this day, I had, I had one pair of pants, one pair, uh, one t-shirt and some really big boots that really didn't fit me. And uh, that's, that's how I rolled. My yeah. hair was getting long. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to get high every day and I, I didn't care what I had to do. And do you remember anything that you're particularly not proud of while you were in the poor unit and all strung out? I mean, I I, I started getting high with like glue and, and all kinds of like just any kind of way to, to, to get high. And I treated, be, I treated people really bad, man, when I had money there. So like for me to be in that situation with them now, like 
it, it really like messed me up, man. Like, oh, I'm but I remember. You, but then you developed like empathy. Well, yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. Like, because it, it it messed me up because then when those people seen that these people weren't trying to kill me, they tried. Uh, they didn't. I don't know why they didn't say it on the show, but they tried to come and hurt me. Mm-hmm. And these people stood up for me. Wow. You know, they, so the poor they, people stood up against the the people in the rich unit that wanted to kill you for the money. You exactly. Owe. So wow. you know, um, I made it out of there because of them. And so, did that change you? Did that uh, instill you know uh, a sense of yeah empathy for uh, you know ordinary people? Well, it just it made me realize that like anybody can end up like a drug addict. Anybody can yeah. end up like that. Like yeah. it's just uh, I just never seen it like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, you kind of saw that like junkies aren't these like faceless people that just make the boss exactly. rich. They're people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you got out of there. You made it out there by the skin of your nuts. You get traded. Incredible. I don't know why they got that. Got rid of that. You know, you got, you know, they traded one for one. You're back in the States. You're paroled. This is the early 2000s. Uh, you're back in Chicago. You start your own. Uh, you got your own crew. Mm-hmm. And are you, are we, are we moving Coke now or are we still moving? No, I'm still moving. From Mitchell Khan? I'm still moving weed. So like, are you still working with the family? Yeah. La Familia from Mitchell Khan? I'm working with them and I'm working with my new plug now. Who's you the know, new plug? The the plug that I met in, in the prison in Mexico that I flew back to Mexico right. to pay back that money. Right. So after that, I, I start, you know, I kind of always felt like weed was under the radar. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like once you start moving coke, you get pretty hot. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of stayed with weed and I was just, I was making really good money because I was getting it for so cheap. So like. So you were sending, now you're the guy sending. I wasn't even sending. I was just, they were just telling me to pick up, you know, the cars. Like gotcha. they were sending it straight to me. Gotcha. So you didn't, and, you didn't have to send anybody down there yourself. You were just the guy that had the accounts. You were like me. You could move it. You had the buyers. Yep. Uh, and what's a pound cost at this time? Break it down because you know we're about details here. Yeah. What I mean, are you moving a week? What are you paying for the pound? And what are you selling the pound for? So now, now I'm paying two fifty a pound. The the pounds are going for uh five fifty back then. Wow. So I'm still making that's a great still markup. making a, a, mar- a good markup. Think about that. That's a double up. Yeah. We usually we thought you had to to do- over double your money. We thought you had to do that with Coke. You're making over a hundred percent profit, hundred and fifty percent profit off of each joint. And what how many are you moving like a week? And, and it just it varies, man. The drug game varies because you all have times where you're like super hot and you're like back to back, you know, 50, 100, yeah, uh, uh 200. Yeah. And and then it just slows down. You do mm-hmm. 10 this day, 10, and mm-hmm. your money starts to get low, and you're like, oh man, what's going on? And then it happens again. Like it, I mean, you know, you've been in the drug yeah. game. It's you have good days and bad days, but I mean, well, I the was, difference is we had, you know, I, I focused less on quantity and more on achieving the highest profit margin per pound, because if I could make 1500, sometimes $2,000 profit per pound, I only had to move 20 a week. Yeah. And that was a million dollar a year business. Yeah. But it, you know, in the, the Mexican bud game, right. Uh, the commercial game, it, it's quantity is the that's that's the money maker so yeah. could you move babe maybe 500 a month i was probably doing about 500 a month easy yeah. you know yeah. um it's a lot of work man it's a lot of work you were just one of those you were just one of those big time traffickers that the cartel relies on you're the ones you're the one moving it 
You know, it, it was, uh, I always tell people, uh, being a drug dealer is a full-time job because there is no downtime. There is no, no. There, you're constantly on the move. As soon as you get up, you're picking up your phones, you're moving, you're driving this car, taking that. You're talking to people while you're driving. I mean, half of the time I had to have somebody driving me because I was on the phone so much. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it, it was just constant uh, being busy. But I also tell people, the whole time I was making all that money, my whole left side of my head was bald. Like no hair was growing because I was so stressed. <laughs> I was so stressed and yeah. uh, getting robbed by this guy. And then at the end, like I said, at the end, my my own my own guys started trying to rob me and and kill me and and set me up. So then, guys, you were working for you. Well, my own gang, my wow. own my own guys that were working for okay, me. Okay, so let's know? go into that. This is the Satan Satan's disciples. Satan disciples. Okay, and that's the the umbrella. That's the organization you started in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Well. I yeah, I was part of them. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, and this is about 2003. Yeah. Are they the same guys who set you up with the pistol? Yeah. With the hot pistol in the car? Yep. So you beat that charge. How long were you waiting? Were you able to bail out while you were fighting that? Or were you sitting no, I, in jail? I, I, I bailed out something that was like unheard of because I was on federal probation. Right. And I caught a, a state charge. Yeah. Uh, I bailed out and I beat the case. My lawyer beat the case three months later. But hang on. So that, that pistol charge, the state didn't hand that over to the feds. No, that's different. See, you're lucky because if that were the, in this day and age, they, that exactly. would have for sure been a fed case Yes, because the feds, they need bodies now. Less people are going up because yep. drugs are becoming legal. This is so, how dirty the feds are. So they need to keep the kitty, the kitty full, you know? You know, I, I was able to get out, bond out, and then, you know, beat it. But uh, it, it was because I had money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I wouldn't have had money, I wouldn't have been able to beat that charge. How did you end up in Arizona? My family has always been in this area. <laughs> I, uh, I always tell people, uh, I've been coming to Arizona since like the early, early 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Phoenix Suns were playing the Chicago Bulls, my my uncle has a retirement home in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, so I I would visit here and there. But the main reason why I ended up in Arizona was because of DMX. Uh, he had a house in Carefree, Arizona. So when I decided to run from Chicago, I always tell people there was a, I had like a, a God moment where in one day, they tried to kill me like seven times in one day. All right, let's hear about that. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> I'm tired of being a gangster. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just, I'm wore out. Like, I was just tired. I was tired. And you seem to, to all due respect, I don't catch a lot of gangster vibes off of you because, you know, we've just had gangsters on this program. And one, they have no sense of humor. And two, uh, retaliation is a must. Now, I, it doesn't seem like when people came after you and robbed you and tried to kill you, it doesn't seem like you ever tried to get get back on them. It seems like the way I would take it as a businessman, you just took it as a loss and kept going. Is am I accurate in saying that? I mean, you, there's you got to pick and choose your wars, man. Like yeah. it's it's one of the biggest. I think as uh, a businessman, whatever business you're in, you have to pick and choose who you're going to fight with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not, you know, and sometimes, you know, you can't start a war. Why? Because you're so in debt from what just happened that mm -hmm. you can't afford that war. Mm -hmm. So you have, to, you have to move on pretty fast right. and make that money back. 
because when the cartel sh- sends a, a truck with seven guys in the truck and they show up to your house and they're asking you, where's the money for those 20 that we just gave mm-hmm. you? Uh, you know, it changes changes the whole the whole program. Did they do that with you? Did the cartel actually send sicarios to well, collect? They, they sent the the guys to collect because uh, I got I got robbed by one of my best friends. Uh, I would I never seen it coming. I everybody in Chicago knows about it. All my friends know about mm-hmm. it. I mean, he just robbed me blind. And for how many? Twenty. Okay. Um, a good solid quarter mil. You know, quarter million dollars for 20 pounds? What do you, oh, a quarter million in cash. It, no, it was, it was kilos. It was 20 kilos. That's not a quarter million dollars. <sighs> That's what I had it for. Let's just say, let's just leave it right there. <laughs> I don't understand. No, 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 no. We can't. Because you know Johnny Mitchell, white boy Johnny yeah, no. Mitchell, has you to want, know the numbers. You want, to, you want to stir it up. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I get it. All right. Well, hey. If you say it was worth a quarter mil, then, you know. You know, that's what that's what it was. And uh, he put me in a really bad place because that that either, it was either going to make me or break me. And it, it almost broke me. That deal was going to make you? Yeah. Okay. And. Um, he robbed you at gunpoint? No. He was my delivery guy. Uh, he just ran off with it. He just ran off with it. Son of a and, bitch. And uh, the next day I was calling con because everybody was ready to pick up. Everybody was ready to pick up. And I was like, where you at? Where you at? Nothing. Finally, I was like, he got me. You know, a week passed by. I was still in denial. I was like, nah, man. I was like, okay, so I have my house. It's paid for. So if they come, I'll just give them the house. Because mm. I had just bought a house from Cato. And I was like, okay, so I'll give them the house. And, what part and of Chicago said, is this? Uh, Burbank. It, it was worth way more than, than, you know, the money. It was 300 plus. So it's nice. It's a nice, it's a nice house. house. Okay. Um. I'm like, they show up, they don't want the house. They want their money. Yeah. So now I got to figure out what I'm going to do to get that money. So like I, I went to the streets again, you know, started making moves here and there. And I ended up getting the money. But right after I got that money, it was the day where like back to back. I don't know why that day they tried to kill me. Like I was at a red light. Some guy jumped out, tried to get me there. I he shot at you? Yeah. I moved. How'd you get out of that? Just speeding, getting, yeah. just running. And yeah. for some reason, it kept happening that day. I was at a restaurant. Um, that day finally came to an end. I, I got to the recording studio because Cato was in downtown with DMX. They were recording. Um, they were working on that song. Um, it was on the uh What CD. these bitches want from an end. Oh, no. No, uh, uh, it was on that uh, when uh, he did that movie with that Chinese guy. Uh, yeah, Jackie Chan. Yeah. He had, well, that's a good song. Yeah, my um, my brother had one of his uh, rappers on the soundtrack. But anyways, I get to the recording studio, and I tell Cato, I'm like, I'm done, I'm I'm moving, and he's like, Well, why don't you move to Arizona? You know, go over there and, and spend time with X. And I was like, You know what? I'm leaving. I that night, mm-hmm. I just threw everything in my truck and I started driving towards Arizona. And you just left the house. I just abandoned left. it. I left everything. Well, I was married to that lady, so she stayed there. Right. You know, but I left everything behind. I just, I wanted to get as far as I could from Chicago because I was done. Can I ask you something? If you're so tied in with the family from the other side and you have a worker run off with the work, why can't you tap them to send their guys and utilize their resources to go after that guy? Like, why do you get in trouble? You know what I mean? 
Because once it's in your hands, you're responsible, you're responsible. for it. Yeah. <laughs> there is and so no. you never had gunmen. You never, even though you're a, a disciple, right? Working, you know, with these guys, uh, you know, the Chicago, the embedded Chicago gangs, you can't send your own soldiers to go handle that? Or that just wasn't in you? It just, I, I'm, I looked at it as, as a business move, right? That mm -hmm. went wrong. And... This is another thing, man. I grew up with this kid. His mom fed me when mm. I was on the streets. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just, he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And because my heart is not as, as maybe you could say as dark as other people. I, I couldn't, I couldn't hurt his family. I couldn't hurt. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do nothing. Yeah. So. Because you're a good redeemable guy. Like, so. It is what it is. I took it as a loss and I just, I moved on. And, and um, whatever had, happened to him. I mean, I, I've heard stories, you know, mm -hmm. uh, karma, karma comes around. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, I've heard stories that he's doing good. I've heard stories that he's doing bad. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I wish him the best. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been, uh, the, the, there was a, I don't know if you know who Damien Cash is. Uh, we did a video where he was getting out of federal prison. He owed me 70 grand. So he's like, you know what? Let me call JC and say, and just tell him I don't have the money. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, dude, I don't want you to pay me. Like, yeah, I it's it's, it's all good. Like, yeah. it, it is what it is. Ancient so, history. It's ancient history. So you go, you leave Chicago. Uh, do you know? Are you on the run, or do you let the family know? You know that you owe money to. Like, how how does that debt get settled? Or I pay back the money. Oh, right. Because you I'm went not, to the street. I'm not, not going to say how. You went to the street. You got the money. You I paid, paid the back. money and I left. Mm -hmm. I Who was trying to kill you? I don't day? leave. I don't leave bank accounts open. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I paid it and left. Uh, it was all my own gang. The same disciples are trying to kill me that day. Um, I believe that some of some of the guys in the, my new gang that I was in mm -hmm. really didn't like me. They wanted to kill me mm -hmm. like down on the on the down low. Yeah. Um, so I knew deep down in my, in my heart that it was time for me to leave, leave town. And, and that's what I did. I left, I came to Phoenix, Arizona, and, um, I, I became part of the, uh, Phoenix Rough Riders. So I started riding motorcycles. I, I be, I always tell people I be, I became part of a different gang. Yeah. You know, and uh, was that part of DMX's Rough Riders? Like that was his outfit? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And were they, are they still around? Well, they're, they're, they're pretty much like, uh. I mean, they're a record label. They're a business. They're like a motorcycle, a motorcycle club. club. Yeah. They're, they're a lot of things. So they're just legit though. Yeah, they're legit. Okay, gotcha. So, but when you first got to Phoenix from Chicago, were you running out there too? Were you working with the family still? Were you still bringing in work? Nah, when I when I got out there, I really wanted to try and change, man. Like I, I got out there with good intentions. I got out there, I always tell people, I got out there with, I think I had about a quarter mil in cash. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of jewelry. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got out there, I wasn't used to the strip clubs. In Phoenix, there's a strip club on every corner. Mm. Uh, I had never seen drive-through uh, liquor stores. Yeah. Um, all, all, the, all the stuff of Phoenix was new to me. They had swinger clubs. They had massage parlors. Mm -hmm. They had a lot, a, lot, a lot of sex. So uh, me being... Who I used to be, like my 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 old self, uh, I really fell into that whole lifestyle, and I mean, I was I was broke in six months. Wow! I blew all that money. Addicted still. Yeah. Still doing coke. Yep. Back on coke. Yep. And now, now not being in my city and not having the plugs that I have, 
you know, um, I went broke. Mm -hmm. So now I look for a job. I start working and I just start finding like odd jobs here and then I start working and then I, I, I start moving weed again. Right. Right. Uh, with who? What organization? Um, I was working with somebody local that was right here in, in Piedras Negras, uh, just close over the border. Um, a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. um, just getting, you know, 100 here, 100 there, just to get by, make, make mm -hmm. my bills. I was really, I was trying to stay clean. I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble no more. You know? So you weren't dealing with anybody from the other side directly. You were just getting a middleman to you yes. by somebody that was receiving it from the other side. Yeah. Got it. And you know, uh, I mean, by this time, this is the 2000s, right? Yeah. So now Sinaloa is king. They're, I, they've just defeated Tijuana, basically, in the cartel wars. Um, so I'm assuming a lot of this pot is coming from, you know, the Golden Triangle, which is a stupid name that Americans have given the, you know, where they grow the bud, Durango, Chihuahua, Sinaloa, those mountains. Uh, did you notice the pot getting better? It actually was starting to look almost like hydro at one point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was very green, no seeds. Started looking better. A lot of the, uh, I started getting a lot of customers, uh, you know, black customers from Atlanta flying in. Yeah. That wanted 100, 200, 300. Uh, Atlanta ended up being one of my main, main, like, hubs. Yeah. That I just, I started making a lot of money just, you know, uh, dealing with people over there. Yeah. And, Why, um, yeah. And it, 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 uh, it kind of pulled me back in again where I was like, wow, I can make like a hundred grand like this, like really wow. quick. Could you make a hundred grand in one deal? <laughs> yeah. That's an insane amount of money for one <laughs> pot deal. <laughs> That's insane. So what, what was like the markup, uh, on this new bud? On you, the bud you, that was looking like you hydro? were selling it almost like it was hydro. So yeah. like. You're getting it in Mexico for 50 bucks now. Yeah. But you're selling it over here for almost a thousand. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's it's insane. Like, the yeah. markup was crazy, but that's what made you, made me greedy. And that's yeah. what made me like get back into the game again. How much was your plug in Piedras Negras? How much was he giving you pounds for? We, we were actually splitting at 50, 50 because he was receiving. So yeah. I was the quarterback pretty much. Yeah. Um, oh, so you were just selling all the work. And just split it with them. Yes. You were the, you were the salesman as yeah. usual. See, you're yes. the businessman. Yeah. So then what were you guys paying for a pound? He, he was getting them for close to, I want to say already there and be that 150 bucks, 150 bucks. Yeah. And you could flip that to Atlanta for almost a G yeah. per pound. Yeah. And you could sell 50 of them at a time. I mean, it was 50 was a low, low end yeah. sell because they were coming to pick up hundreds. So they didn't want, even when they would come and I would be like, Hey, I only have 25. They would be like, we'll come back next time. Come back and when you have our full order. Else. Wow. So it, it was. Wow. It so was so that money. was that was in my day when when guys, the, the middleman game in the weed business still existed. And that's where guys like me, you know, just ordinary people were able to make millions by, you know, flying from the East Coast to the West Coast, the Southwest. And, you know, there would be these groups picking up. 200, 300 pounds at a time. And they were getting them from guys like you. Wow. And so how would that work? A guy flies in from Atlanta. Do they bring him in? Do they bring a U-Haul truck? Like, how do you move a hundred pounds? Back then they, they, were, doing they were doing it in every way possible from mailing it to putting it in, in cars. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, those uh, moving uh, 
truck things had barely came into style where you would, you know, they would move your house and, and one of those containers. Pods, yeah. So they would put all the furniture yep. in there, yep. fill it all with pot in there. That's how I did and it. Have it. That's uh, right. Have it shipped. Yeah. So like there were so many ways, even in tow trucks, towing a car, mm -hmm. moving a car, uh, they were doing every kind of way, man. I mean, and, and the thing is, is that when you're moving, you know, a hundred, 200 pounds, you have to get creative now because that's a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, I've seen even guys that would take the whole motor out of the car mm -hmm. and then they would fill it up. Yeah. And that's how they would transport yeah. the car. Did you deal with uh BMF, the black mafia family or? I, um, I, I dealt with a lot of smaller guys, man. And that's why it was always a hundred, 200, 300. Mm -hmm. If I would have been dealing with them, I would, I would have probably been in the feds for life. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not sure that they even dealt weed. <laughs> I don't think you know? so. <laughs> I was just curious because that was around the same time. Okay. So you're back on. All you lose everything. Story of the drug dealer's life, right? And JC's life. You're, you lose it all. You're up. You lose it all. Now you're back on top. Um, how did that end? This second run in Phoenix. I got set up by my one of my one of my close friends. Uh, he flew into he flew into Phoenix. Um, I bumped into him at a at a strip club. And uh, I was like, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he was like, you know, I'm looking for this, blah, blah. And I was like, I might be able to help you. What, did he, what was he looking for? He, he wanted 30 keys. And, 30 uh, keys of pot? No. He wanted 30 keys of Coke. Yeah. And uh, Did that I, raise red flags? Yeah. You know, it, it made me a little afraid. But then, then I was like, but well, he's, he's my dude. You know, he's, he's part of my gang. He's... That's my guy. We've done dirt together. Like, I was like, no, you know. And at the time, I was married to uh, Monica. I was married to my my fourth wife. And she told me, she was like, come on. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I That dude, his energy, she kept telling me. And mm -hmm. I was like, shut up. You don't know. You're not from the streets. You don't know mm -hmm. about loyalty. You don't. And uh, she told me. And... I have to say that at the time, my head was so big and I was being so prideful because I was making so much money. Mm -hmm. I was a rough rider at the time. Nobody knew what I was doing. Everybody didn't even, it hit them by surprise when I got arrested by the feds, but uh, I was buying new motorcycles. I had just bought up this brand new truck. Uh, I was moving to this condo in Scottsdale and uh, I, I, my head got big and I, got, I knew they were following me. Mm -hmm. The feds were following me. Mm -hmm. I was blowing red lights. They were following me. But that's how prideful I was. I didn't yeah. care. Mm. And when I went to go do the deal, they were, they were there. So he said, you said, yeah, I know where I can, I can middleman this 30 kilos. Mm -hmm. So you go, and are those your same pot connections that you go to? No, it's, it was someone else that I had to speak to, somebody that I, that I knew, um, you know, uh, but he didn't want nothing to do with it. So he had me, you know, orchestrate everything. Yeah. yeah. So, you yeah, know. And is this, uh, this is Border Brothers Coke. This is not, you're not getting these 30 keys middleman. You're talking to somebody from an organization in Mexico. Yes, yes. Gotcha. Can you say who it was? No. I, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. But I, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and assume that they had something to do with Culiacan and Sinaloa. That's going to be my but, guess. You know, uh. He he was so hard up on getting those 30. And I was so like, So he was Dude. really pressing you. I was like, and, and did you give him a ticket? Did you give him a price? Yeah. And yeah. did he put up a fight? Nope. That's how you know. 
When they agree to pay well, what you, you want, when there's no haggling, there's something's up. But the, the thing is, is that I questioned that part too, but at the same time, it was a really good price because I, I was hooking them up. I really wasn't oh, so, okay. trying to make money off right. of it. What did you agree? Uh, you, uh, what was the price you It was 18.5. And this is when they started to go up in Chicago. They were, I think, 27 back then. Right. In Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. Okay. So you're getting it to them for 18.5. That's a hookup. Yes. Yeah. And this is pure coke. It, it was a good stuff yeah. <laughs> back then. Yeah. But he agreed. And I was like, look, um, I'm going to get you one. And then after that, you guys do your thing. Like, I didn't want nothing to do with it. I didn't want nothing to do with it. I didn't even... I even told my guy, I was like, you make the money, you deal with him. I don't want to deal with him because I was happy with my little weed money. Mm -hmm. um, Which is not very little, but comparative, <laughs> comparatively, I guess, you know, compared so, to flipping 30 you, kilos of Coke. I met up with him and, and the feds were there. Uh, Did you have the 30 on you? No. no. Okay. So they never, they never got the 30 off of you. No. Did you have... Uh, a pistol, cash, anything? No, I, I had, I had, I thought we only had one. We had five. Five what? Kilos. You have five kilos on you? Yeah. Okay. So the, the agreement was for 30. Mm -hmm. Why did you only bring five? Because I thought we were only showing them one. I oh, brought, I brought, gotcha. I brought one of his workers gotcha. with me. Okay. Gotcha. So I thought we were only showing him one. I didn't know this dude had brought extra ones. Just in case. So you kind of lucked out that you only brought five. Well, yeah. I mean, because that put totally. me still that put me still in the guideline of the ten years. Right. If right. not, if I would have brought the thirty, it would have put me in the guideline. You're doing minimum twenty. Twenty. I think it's twenty three on up. Yeah. I yeah. think it's twenty to thirty two. Yeah. It, it changes the whole guidelines of the federal like yeah. sentencing. Right. So I get out the truck. I start running. Um. There's, there's like a pipe, a, a sewer pipe. I jump into it. I think I'm crawling out, but it starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. I get in there. They're looking for me. They can't find me. Um, they had to actually go get the dogs to find me. Wow. I thought I was getting away. Wow. I really <laughs> thought I was getting away. So once they pull me out of the pipe, I'm not going to lie. I, got, I was like, man, I'm going to do a lot of time. So I was like, right away, I started thinking. I was like, what should I say? What should I say? So that morning, I had just given myself a, a testosterone shot mm -hmm. in, my, in my glute. Yeah. So as soon as they pull me out of the 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 the, the tube, the the pipe, whatever, I tell them, "Hey, a black widow bit bit me, bit me. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I don't feel good. I don't feel good." So in my head, I'm already thinking, once they take me to the hospital, I'm gonna try to escape. So <laughs> they look at my butt cheek, and it's red, and they're like, "Holy cow, he did mm -hmm. get bit." So they rushed me to the hospital, to the Maricopa uh, uh, County Hospital. I'm playing it. I should have got an Oscar uh, nominee for, <laughs> for this, but I'm sitting there with the cuffs and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm dying. I'm dying. I feel it. Like I feel, I feel warm. And I just kept on saying things. Finally, the doctor comes in, gives me like some pain meds, uh, uh, gives me a shot for something. And he's like, uncuff him. So he, they put me on the bed. I see the sheriff leave. So now I'm just cuffed like this. Mm. I get up and I'm like, okay, this is it. I start walking towards the front door where like all the inmates come in. The yeah. doors open and close. I was like, all right. So if I make it down the street, my baby mom lives, my one of my baby's moms lives down the street from the house. She lives in the hood. So I was like, if I make it there, that's it. I'm gone. 
I really had it in my head. And I'm where were be- you going to go? Mexico? Mexico, then Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I already had it in my head. So I got to the door. And right when I get to the door, man, all the Fourth Avenue inmates are coming in. And one of the sheriffs grabs me. And he's like, whose inmate is this? And I'm like, this dude, man. Yeah. He takes me in. The the uh, sheriffs come in. Um, I forgot what they're called. Um, the ones from the feds that uh, arrest you. Uh, U.S. Marshals? U.S. Marshals. Uh, they come in. They grab me. I pretended dumb, like to play dumb. Like I had to use the bathroom. But they knew what time mm-hmm. it was. They mm-hmm. got really mad. They cuffed me. They put the black box on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was game over. That's a wrap. That. That's yeah. a wrap. How long were you in jail uh, before you, you know, pled out? Uh, Did you were able to were you able to bail out or did they keep you in there? No, no, I, I I wasn't able to bail out. Um, I I pretty much knew what time it was. Uh, I got I got a good lawyer. Uh, I knew what time it was. Mm. Um, with my rap sheet and everything, um, it wasn't gonna be good. So I signed real quick for the ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, got the drug program. Got yeah. the halfway house. Uh, ended up doing about about six. Six and some change. That's pretty good for Fed time. Usually it's 85, 85%. Uh, Where were you at? They sent me to uh, Mariana, Florida. How was that? It was beautiful. So nothing, (laughs) so you didn't do, they never sent you to like an FCI or they never sent you to, um, what's the level up from FCI? USP. They never sent you a USP? I, I, I got sent to a USP when I violated when I violated my probation and I went back in 2017, like mm-hmm. I was telling you, that's when they sent me to Victorville in California. And that's, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was there for five minutes. I had already killed the dude for a piece of chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that happens in Victorville. That's, that was USP right our, there. Our friend Unique, who was on the show, told us about Victorville. He would say the white boys there are so vicious with their own people. They, somebody would get out of line. And so the shot caller of whatever car was running the place would go around to the other sets, the other cars, the blacks, the Mexicans, the natives, and be like, hey, uh, on Thursday at noon, we're going to put in some work. So go to the store, go get your shower because we might be locked down for a little bit. Yeah. And then the, the guy they were going to stab would be walking around all week with them, just whistling <laughs> like it's all good, you know, yeah. and everybody in the prison would know that this guy was about to get hit except for that guy. Wild. There's 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 a whole tactic to how they do it, man. Even even how they make you work out so you can bleed out faster. I mean, bro. It, it, what? Yeah. Tell us about this, bro. <laughs> what the fuck is Everybody this? knows that, man. Like <clears throat> they'll make you work out, like do push-ups. They'll be working out with you because that gets your blood flowing more. Mm-hmm. So once they stab you, you actually bleed out faster. Wow. Because your blood's pumping. And so they hit you on the yard. After a bench press, yeah, after, after you, you just done. got your, you, you, know, you just maxed out. And yeah. Like it's crazy. Wow. It's a whole art form. But when I got to Victorville, I'm not going to lie. I had been to some crazy prisons in Mexico. And when I got there uh, and those doors opened and closed, I could smell the death. I could, I could feel it. Um, it was the most uncomfortable prison I've ever been to in my Are life. Are you serious? Even yeah. more than Mexico? Yeah, even more than Mexico. Wow. Yeah, I could feel the death in that place. A lot of people have died in that prison. A lot. A lot. And did you, how long were you there for? Uh, maybe a month and a half at, at the most. And who they did, were already on lockdown when I got there. Yeah. Yeah. And who did you have to roll with? I, at the time, the homies were like, yo, where are you from? And I was like, Chicago, man. You know, I'm, I'm a yeah. Latin king. The homies always looked out for me, man. Like, I'm not... 
I always give them props because even when I got to um when I got to Latuna Federal Prison in the early 90s, mm-hmm. I was young, didn't know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. The homies were having a little battle with the Aztecas in that federal prison. And there wasn't a lot of them, but there were like straight just riders. Like yeah. they always had the nice hand of yeah. everything. And when I got there, I was 19. So I didn't know what, you know, who to get along with, who to talk to or nothing. They took me under their wing and and they just always looked out for me. And after that, every prison I went to, they knew somebody that knew somebody that knew him from this, from Florencia <laughs> yeah. or from this place that knew them. So they always looked out for me. So when I got to Victorville, they were like, oh, uh, we heard about you, blah, blah, blah. So I knew I was going to be good with them, but it's never good because it's not your people. Yeah. So like it's you still had to be very careful. Yeah. Did you, you have to keep I mean? a piece of steel on you just for protection? Well, I didn't even make it to that. I didn't make it that far because I ended up getting transferred out of there because that that guard put in some. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be there. I was there for a violation. Yeah. I was forty five years old. Yeah. Uh, my points have gone down for yeah. my drug program. Yeah. So I was supposed to hit a a, a low for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. They just I got lost in the system. I guess. There you go. That's the bureaucracy. Like it never functions how it's supposed to. Wow. So that's interesting. So you feel like you feel like that place was just as violent, Victorville, as the the prison in Mexico? I think it was probably worse if they just let them like stay open. If it wasn't for the lockdowns, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just uh, I tell people the the feeling I got from that place, I'll I'll never like I can never forget it because I mean, they did a TV show on it. I was on this TV show called Dead Files. It's on, I forgot on what show, on what, but it's about ghosts. Mm-hmm. And it's about a house that's haunted that's right in front of Victorville. So they called me because they were like, hey, we've seen the YouTube video mm-hmm. you, where you're talking about Victorville. Yeah. Do you want to be on the show? Wow. I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but that's how bad the energy is in that place, yeah. man. Yeah. It's And I think they lie about the number of killings, too. Oh, yeah. Like, you never... It's very rare that you'll see a headline uh, about a murder in Victorville and, and and in the feds in general. They keep it... In California, it always comes out. Somebody got stabbed. Somebody got killed. But they really... People don't realize how corrupt the federal prison system is in America. And I just... I, I talk about it so much on here because I'm fascinated that the most powerful country in the world, like the highest law of the land can have like such lawlessness, you know what I mean? And such like endemic corruption. It's pretty crazy, but I'm glad you made it out of there. So then, and then you go, they transfer you to Florida. They, no, they transfer me to uh, Lompoc, California. Also pretty uh, crazy. Low. No, it's a low. Oh, uh, you went to the low though. Yeah, they I have went two to the, sides. I went okay. to the low. Oh uh, yeah. They have a high and the low. Yeah. I went to the low and this is where I tell people, this is the first time ever that I seen more white people in prison than like Mexican and blacks. Mm, yeah, uh, we can I do hit, it too. I hit the low and it was all white collar crimes, yeah. uh, and yeah. muscle, um, money embezzlement, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So it actually helped me to go there because this is where, you know, for six months I got to pick uh, people's brains on LLCs, on nonprofits. Yeah. Uh, it helped me build what I, what I, it helped me like get the education I needed to build what I built today so that last stretch for for violating that was when you really were like things are going to be different like i'm going to change i'm never coming back here exactly uh you're a fascinating kind of guy because you're very sensitive you know like you're uh when i talk to you off pod you know it seems like you're just coming 
it's like you're growing into a human being that you always were with emotions and, you know, sensitivity and stuff like that. Stuff that you could never allowed yourself to feel as a young man because there was so much violence and chaos going on. Who do you think, you think that's always been in you? Or has it been like a person? Has it been like a spouse, your wife now that's like uh, brought that out of you? Well, I don't, I don't think nobody is is born bad, man. You know, I don't think nobody is 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 like taught to lie or like it's it's mm -hmm. just uh, I, I believe everybody is good. I mean, it's just that we do what we have to do to survive, and sometimes we we just get handed uh, just a bad deck of the cards, and mm -hmm. it turns us into something that we're not supposed to be, mm -hmm. but. At the end of the day, like I say, like a, a mistake is not a mistake if you learn from it. You know, mm. uh, obviously, sometimes it takes guys like us a little bit longer to get it. But once we get it, like we we run with it. And like I always tell people, guys like the, us that have been through like painful and, and situations like that. Usually when we get our life together, like we we run with it. Like mm -hmm. we do more in seven years than anybody will do in their, in their whole lifespan. Yeah. Because we're just, we're hungry for it yeah. and, and we're ready to get it and yeah. put in the work and we're not afraid. And it just, I always, I always say I wouldn't change nothing in my past, nothing in my life because it made me who I am today. And I, I'm, I'm just built like a little tank. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's something about a mix of the work ethic of uh, Mexican, right? Chicago, the hustle and the swag of being from Chicago. I think it's all of these, all of these things, all of these events and places have kind of made you into who you are. Tell us what you got going on now, man. Man, I'm, I've been really working on my public speaking. I mean, I'm making the transition from my, my, you know, personal training business into mm -hmm. like an online training business. Yeah. Uh, Going to release my book this year. My supplement line at the end of this year will come out. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in the workings, but I mean, the main focus right now uh, this year is going to be getting into the prisons, uh, teaching these guys that there is a better way, uh, showing them more than anything. Uh, the people that I'm surrounding myself with now, you know, Conejo, uh, a, a lot of, of people that have changed their lives mm -hmm. uh, and are doing something for the community and people... I always tell people, you can't send a suit into my neighborhood to tie and rescue kids like me. Mm -hmm. It takes guys like us that were from the neighborhood to go back. Yeah, but I know? think what's, because gangbangers and drug dealers and ex-criminals have been going back to the hood for years <laughs> and nothing works, nothing changes. <laughs> it's even more fucked up now than it was back in the day. What do you think it is now? What do you think you actually have to do for people? Like I, you were talking about that grant money you were going to get you know, millions of dollars from, you know, these white guys, some of them in law enforcement now that want to like, that see a guy like you and they don't look at you as something different now. They really talk to you like you're a man, like a businessman, like an equal. I think this is a special time. Whereas back in the nineties, a, a gangbanger that wanted to come back to the hood didn't have any resources. Don't you think it's like a good time now? Like it, with YouTube and and all of these, like, uh, this information to, like, get out to youngsters? Well, we, we were in different times. And, and, and the thing is that now, since social media is such a big thing, um, I mean, let's be honest. There's, 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 uh, 
there's a lot of phonies out there too. Oh yeah, of course. And uh, the kids are starting to see that, mm. and like they'll take somebody that they'll look at their story and do their research and be like, okay, that dude's that dude's for real. Mm-hmm. Um, let me listen a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then it's not just that; it's it's actually walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah. You know, a lot of like when I went back to Chicago and I shared my story, a lot of the guys were like, Oh, you don't swear no more? And I was like, I try not to swear no more. You know, I don't want to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Oh, why you think you're better now? No, I don't think it's better. It's that I'm changing, I'm evolving. Yeah. It's something different. Yeah. Uh I, I think that they 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 see the realness in that and the message and the change. And that's where we were able to impact the kids that we weren't able to impact back then because we didn't have the resources. Yeah. We didn't have social media platforms. Yeah. There was a lot of things we didn't have yeah. that we have now that we could use to our advantage. Yeah, I agree. I agree because you have to show, it's not enough in my opinion to show you know, kids from the South side of Chicago that look, you did it. Cause they'll be like, well, he did it, but he's one out of a million. You actually, I think have to show them like, this is how you make money. This is how legal money works. Yeah. This is how credit works. Like I didn't even know. I'm from an upper middle class family in, from Portland, Oregon. Dad was a lawyer. I didn't know that you can go online to your online bank and use those points that you rack up from your credit card mm-hmm. to then you can actually use those to buy flights and redeem them for cash. Mm-hmm. They don't teach you that for a reason. They teach you nothing about the financial system in school. They teach you nothing about like how it's actually almost as easy Nothing is easy, but it's almost as easy now to become rich legally than it is off selling drugs. Exactly. And you won't lose half a year ahead of hair. <laughs> you know, like, I think you need to, I, I think that's what we got to do is like actually practically show kids how they can do it. Yeah. Not just like flowery words. You know what I mean? Huh. So I think that's where you really uh, have a remarkable story and you have a lot left uh, to do and tell. I mean, my story has been a trip, man. It's been a roller coaster. So tell us a plug, plug real quick, plug what you want to plug. Well, you know, um, pretty much Google wrong strong. Yeah. 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 Wrong <laughs> all, my strong. St- all my stuff will come up. Uh, I've uh, managed to uh, work the search engine pretty good. So mm-hmm. wrong strong is, is, you know, everything comes up from the book that's on Amazon to my online training to, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that I'm working on right now. Um, the TV shows, yep. uh, it's, uh, a lot of doors have been opening this 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 year, and uh, I believe a lot more are going to open up. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's what's up. Yeah, if you're in Phoenix and you want to catch a workout, mm-hmm. right, and you got a little bit of money to spend, this is not Planet <laughs> Fitness, okay? Uh, don't insult him. Uh, check him out. He won't be available much longer in person, though. You're, he's going to be going almost exclusively online coaching, but, like, all his products, his supplements, everything uh, is at your website. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, wrong to strong. And we're going to put that link in the description. Uh, JC, a pleasure, man. Thank Much you. success to you. And, uh, you know, we'll have you back soon, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. All right. That's it. Man. <laughs>